This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Brojo Online. Today, we're going to be talking about your unhealthy patterns and habits and how you keep relapsing back into them, which is totally normal for a human to do, and how to know what this process is and how to deal with it. How to see this thing happening and how to actually make some changes, even if the pattern is very long-term and you've been harming yourself or sabotaging yourself for a very long time. So what kind of patterns are we talking about here? We're talking about porn. We're talking about scrolling through Facebook. We're talking about binging on alcohol and drugs. We're talking about seeking validation and approval in a compulsive way. We're talking about eating sugary fried foods. We're talking about watching hours and hours of Netflix and TV. We're talking about making yourself too busy with extra work you don't need to be doing. We're talking about video games. We're talking about any short-term fix, instant gratification behavior that you tend to indulge in when you're stressed or bored or afraid or confused or upset that only serves to make your life worse in the longer term. It gives you an instant hit like using a drug, and we'll refer to it as using a drug throughout this whole podcast. But in the long run, it just creates a nasty pattern of highs and lows that actually continue the process and are harmful for you overall. And we're going to be talking about this as if it's a drug addiction, because essentially that's what it is. It's you getting a dopamine high when you're feeling stressed to try and uh, feel good when you're feeling bad. Feel dopamine when you're bathing in cortisol. And the problem is that when you're constantly seeking dopamine highs, you actually produce more cortisol in the withdrawal period and therefore set yourself up to seek more highs, just like a drug addict. And that's why you end up binging all the time. And that's why you end up missing out on the good things in life because you're too busy doing shitty things. What we're talking about today is lapsing and relapsing. It's part of the drug addiction process. Uh, that everybody's subject to. It's just the way the human brain works. I learned about this working with criminal offenders, and I'll be referring to them probably a little bit today. We learned about how is it that a criminal offender can commit a crime that harms his own life, and yet continuously commit that crime over and over again, even though the consequences of committing the crime get worse and worse. And that's what happens to criminals. The first time you steal a car, it's not such a big deal. You usually just get a slap on the wrist and have to pay a fine. The 10th, 15th time you steal a car, you're now facing big prison sentences. You're unemployable. Your your social circle's full of deviants and misfits. and, And you're just a fucking mess. And yet, you're now more likely to steal a car than ever before. So, that same pattern that we scoff at offenders for criminal offenders, is no different to what we do when we're binging on crisps and Mountain Dew while we watch Netflix, which slowly strays into a session of porn and masturbation, or calling up that person like that ex who's no good for us, but whenever we talk to them we feel better about ourselves. All that kind of stuff you do, scrolling through Facebook at a party, just like the worst thing to do, You know, this is all drug-seeking behavior. It's no different from using heroin or compulsively shoplifting. The same process is happening inside you. We all do it. We're all subject to it. And how much control over it that you have 
basically determines your quality of life. If you can get on top of this thing and keep it to a minimum, you're going to fill your life with high quality activities and it's going to make you more confident and healthy overall. And if you let this process control you, if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have a disastrous, miserable, depressed life. Simple as that. So, what are we talking about here? We're talking about something that I call the water slide. Now, the water slide is like a neural pathway, a set of decisions that have become so repetitive and so ingrained in your brain that it's like jumping on the top of a water slide. It feels impossible to get off until you're all the way at the bottom. And it seems like one continuous action. Like once you start, you can't stop. I remember I had a client who used to, this was a pattern he got into. He'd get stressed at work. On his way home, he'd stop and buy a bottle of wine and a pizza, or two pizzas. He was a big guy. He'd get home, and he would demolish the whole thing while watching like five hours of TV. And basically, once he started leaving work, he felt powerless to stop this whole thing playing out. It's like a water slide, even though those are a range of different decisions. Leaving work, stopping, buying the wine, stopping again, buying the pizza, getting home, drinking the wine, eating the pizza, watching the TV. Those are all separate events, and within them, lots of micro decisions. Every bite of the pizza is another decision. And yet to him, it's just one big process. Once he starts it, he follows it all the way to the end and feels powerless to intervene. That's what I call the water slide, and we all have them. For some of you, it will start with scrolling through Facebook and end up with a session of masturbating mindlessly to porn. And it feels like you just can't get off the slide once that starts. For others, it will be scrolling through Facebook and ending up in a phone conversation with your ex. For others, it will be getting home to start playing a video game and 12 hours later you're still playing video games and you feel like you just can't stop. Often these water slides go in tandem, so while you're also binging on one thing, you're binging on three others. There are people who will scroll through Facebook while binging on Netflix and eating sugary food all at the same time. It's like a drug cocktail, isn't it? And yet you feel kind of, you know you could stop, but you just don't. And because you don't, and you've repetitively not stopped, you feel that you are in fact a victim to this process. You cannot stop it. In fact, you may even have a story to justify it, where you need this thing. You deserve a rest, you tell yourself. You deserve a break. You deserve to feel good because you've had such a hard time. And whatever other story you use to justify this behavior that you know is unhealthy and detrimental to your overall quality of life. So we're going to face those patterns honestly today, and I want to tell you those patterns are here to stay. You're going to be doing them for the rest of your life. However, how far down the water slide you go and how often you get on that water slide, that is something you have a say about. The water slides will always be there. The brain will always be seeking to feel high when it feels low. The temptation to do this will always be there. But how strong that temptation is depends on how often and frequently the pattern is repeated. If you can get this pattern down to a minimal, you'll actually want to do it less as well. And if you can get to the point where you're responsible and you have ability to exit the pattern at different points, you're going to be less controlled by it. And it's going to be something that you start doing and then quickly stop yourself, rather than something that owns your entire life. So we're going to be talking about this today. I can't wait to share this with you. It's so important. Basically, if you can get control of this, 
It opens up your time, your energy, your focus, uh, your your strength to do things that are meaningful and wonderful with your life um, and make you feel proud of yourself. Now it goes in a set of stages. I'm going to be talking about these stages today. I learned this when um, I was being trained in how to rehabilitate criminal offenders and especially drug addicts. Starts with the background factors, the risk environment that you're living in, the thing that's ready to kick off at any moment. From then it builds up to early warning signs, things that show you that the pattern's starting. Then it goes into high-risk situations where the pattern's really likely to happen now. Then it goes into the problem of instant gratification where you feel this push, this urgency to just do it. Then there's this moment called what the hell or fuck it. We just give up all hope of ever redeeming yourself and getting off the pattern. And that, of course, is followed by the relapse. But there's another step that happens after that that isn't talked about, which is the withdrawal, the hangover, and the guilt for having done it again, which is actually the start of the next cycle. So let's begin with those background risk factors. And before we do, I want you to get in your mind one of these patterns that you engage in, whether it's Porn, scrolling through Facebook or your phone, binging on alcohol and drugs on the weekend or even throughout the week, uh, seeking approval, trying to make people laugh or trying to make people like you, that kind of thing, eating sugary foods, binging on Netflix TV periodically, video games, making yourself busy. Choose one of the ones that you think is happening the most often and the most detrimentally to your life and keep that one in mind as we go through this process and watch how it plays out in your own way and in your own world, okay? And start to pay attention to the frequency and the duration of the pattern. When does it start and when does it finish and how often does it happen? Is this something that happens every day? Is it something that builds up over the course of a week or month? Or is it something that kind of fluctuates in and out depending on what's going on with your life? It happens when you're at work but not when you're at home, that kind of thing. Let's have a look and understand your pattern because the first part of this is knowing your pattern. Seeing it play out time and time again, the same script over and over, the same water slide with the same stopping points over and over again. Let's start with background factors, risk factors. So like I mentioned, I want to sort of uh, foreshadow it a bit here. The guilt from your previous relapse and the guilt that you carry in general, the shame you carry in general about who you are and the way you live your life. That is a background risk factor. That is always waiting to kick off. And it's, it's putting more stress and pressure on you that will contribute to your justification for shitty behavior later on. Other background risk factors include the availability of this thing. So if your problem is Facebook and porn, then just working on a computer puts you, puts you at risk because it's available to you now. If it's alcohol, working at a bar or going to a bar to socialize... Those are background risk factors. Having alcohol in the house, having chocolate and sugar in the house, the availability of your drug, uh, the stress of life. This is why this pattern happens to everybody is because all lives are stressful. Even those super spiritual wannabe gurus who go on and on about how they're just detached enlightenment and they are just consciousness, they're full of shit because they get stressed too. Even the fucking Dalai Lama gets stressed, I promise you. It is a natural human condition to build up stress. It's just how we are. We don't have to be in a war zone to get stressed. We can get stressed by emails. So understand that your stress of life always puts you at risk of this, which means you're never not at risk of this. 
And we'll talk more about that later, but your complacency puts you more at risk of anything. If you think you're not at risk of following these patterns, then they will own you. And we'll talk more about that when we get into the how-to section at the end. Enablers. People or circumstances that make the pattern more likely to happen. If alcohol's your binge, then being surrounded by other drinkers or having drinkers as friends is a higher risk situation for you. It's a background risk factor. Having like no blocks on your computer for porn or Facebook, having no barrier between you and that drug, that's an enabler. But most importantly, this is around people. This is the people who make it normal for you to do this. The other binges, you know, the other, the other drug addicts, the people where you're not going to feel ashamed if they see you do this because they do it too, or they support you doing it. They're the worst risk factors. If you're surrounded by people who would like shame you for doing this or would judge you, it's actually far less likely to happen. That's why it's so good to be surrounded by high quality people. It's harder to be honest with them about doing this, which makes it harder to do. But you may be in a situation like working from home is a risk factor for things like binging on Netflix or porn or Facebook because there's no one there to watch you. Whereas being at work is a risk factor for people pleasing, binging on coffee, you know, other things that are easily available and encouraged in the workplace. Then other background risk factors would be your lifestyle temptations. You know, do you have a high-risk lifestyle, or should I say a high-stress lifestyle? Are you busy all the time? Are you surrounded by triggers for your previous trauma? You know, if if you've got some trauma from the past, are you surrounded by reminders of that? Or do you just have, like, risks in your environment? Are you low on money? Is your health a problem? Is the people in your life a problem? Are you surrounded by people who are needy or struggling in some way? And they stress you out just by being around you. Historical trauma, trauma I should say, is a huge background factor. In fact, most of the reason that you're in this pattern in the first place is because of where it began. Your childhood, unresolved bullying issues, uh, sexual abuse issues, just not having a good time in high school issues. If these things have not been healed and put to bed then they're, they're like, a, I call it a limp. It's an injury you carry with you, and it's always there to flare up, and painful reminders kick you off, and these are often the start of the pattern. You're reminded that, hey, you know, none of the girls liked you in high school, and suddenly you just feel like you need a beer, and the pattern begins, you know. And most importantly, the biggest background factor, and the one that you can have the most impact on, the one factor that you can influence the most to change this whole system, is mindset. Whether your mindset is one of responsibility and awareness, or one of being a victim. Not having awareness is probably, the, like I said, complacency is the biggest risk factor. When you're not even aware of how this pattern happens, why it happens, and when it happens, then it's going to keep happening. Because it's like this thing that happens to you. It just suddenly appears out of nowhere. You don't see the build-up. You don't see what you did to make it happen. It just seems to happen to you. That's a victim mindset. And especially when you think this thing, not only am I not aware of how this happens, but I'm helpless to it. It's powerful over me. I can't do anything about it, despite the fact it's all my own decision making. That's a victim mindset. A responsibly aware mindset is, I choose to do this, and I know how I choose to do this. 
I can see it happen step by step. And that's what I wanted to do in this podcast is to create that responsibility and awareness in you. And then it's up to you to do the rest. So those background risk environment factors, that's where you start. That's where everybody starts. Put it this way, there's no one out there that has a stress-free life. So you're already at risk of the patterns just by being alive. Okay? Now, the patterns sitting there, it's potential rather than kinetic. It's waiting to happen. And then you start to get what are called early warning signs. Okay? Now, the person who masters this pattern is the person who can see and manage their early warning signs. And this is the most difficult part. Because this is the part your brain doesn't want you to see, and it's the part that doesn't look bad enough to deal with yet. You don't realize the pattern's beginning because it doesn't even look related. I'll give you an example. When I was working with child sex offenders, you know, I used to work to rehabilitate and reintegrate them and prevent them from doing the nasty shit they do. And one of their biggest problems is that they can't see their early warning signs. One guy, his early warning sign was this random compulsion to go and check his letterbox in the afternoon. It seems like nothing to do with sex offending, doesn't it, to go check your letterbox. But he happened to check it at about 3.30pm, just after all the schools had been let out. He's now putting himself within arm's reach. And as disgusting as that sounds... It's, it's an analogy for how we all behave in our early warning signs. It's when we put ourselves within arm's reach of that binge, of that drug of choice. Like, uh, if my, my drug of choice is porn, this might be me opening up, say, Instagram or Twitter. It's nothing that looks like a porn website, but there's hot girls on there. Or there's naked girls on there. And that's the beginning. First I look at them, then I get all worked up. And as we'll talk about later, I justify switching over to a porn site. So early warning signs is when you're doing these things that lead up to the thing, but don't look like the thing. So a shoplifter, this might be like, oh, I need to go get some milk from the dairy. Turns out they don't actually need milk. There's plenty of milk in the fridge. It doesn't look like they're, they're looking to shoplift. But they're in a stress situation where they've bizarrely chosen to go to their high-risk situation the place where they can shoplift, for seemingly no reason at all. That's an early warning sign. And what's behind this early warning sign are your stresses, your emotional discomfort that this pattern is all about. See, underneath these early warning signs, these weird pieces of behavior that are part of the pattern but don't seem related, is stress, cortisol is emotions you don't like and don't want to experience more of. Your brain is already trying to get you, maneuver you secretly into position to start getting dopamine highs. So for me, boredom, a sense of rushing or being rushed, frustration and quick-tempered and impatient, those are my early warning signs. If I feel those things and start reacting to them with seemingly normal yet odd behavior like my classic one for binging on facebook will be that if i'm waiting for an email say let's say i'm on my email website and it's taking a while to load now at worst it will take a few seconds but as soon as it takes a while to load if i'm like ah god this fucking thing and i switch over to facebook while i wait in quotation marks that's my early warning sign i'm putting myself within arm's reach of a binge it seems totally justified. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't seem like life's going that badly. 
but I am now right in position to have a nice big fat binge. I've made it as easy as possible for myself. That's an early warning sign. After the early warning sign, if that's missed and isn't dealt with, you move into a high-risk situation. HRS. So high-risk situation is being within arm's reach. You're, it's now easy for you to relapse. You've made it very easy to relapse. The shoplifter is now in the shop. The porn abuser is now onto websites that have naked ladies. The, the drug addict, or we'll say the alcoholic or the alcohol binger is now at the pub. Okay, or in an awkward social situation where there's alcohol around. You, it's really easy to relapse in this situation. There's kind of nothing stopping you now. Lots of temptation and lots of provocation. The, uh, the initial emotion that you're uncomfortable with is also being provoked in this situation. If I'm a shoplifter and I'm at the dairy and I've got no money, I'm actually stressed about being in that awkward social situation. I'm far more likely to steal now. There's also, during this high-risk situation, you're starting to remove your responsibility and also you're removing yourself from any supportive interventions. If I'm an alcohol binger and I'm at the pub with my drinking mates, I'm now nowhere near anyone who might give me shit about drinking. I'm around enablers now. And because I'm around them and it's socially awkward not to drink with other drinkers, I'm removing my responsibility. I'm saying to myself, well, now I have to drink. It's not even a choice anymore. Even though it clearly is. But now I'm making it actually quite hard not to drink. It would be socially awkward and uncomfortable not to drink. If I'm on Facebook and there's no one around to say, like, dude, are you on your phone again? What the fuck? All I need to do is flick my thumb once and I'm already scrolling. And at that point I'm like, well, I'm already here. It's already happening. What's another couple of minutes going to do? And I'm just taking that responsibility off. When you're having these kind of thoughts... When you're talking yourself into doing it, you know you're in a high-risk situation. You've got a lot of stress built up. You've blocked out your escape routes. You've made it very hard to stop the process, as well as making it very easy to do it. You've set up the drug. You've filled the needle with heroin now. You still haven't injected it, but everything's lined up to make this thing go. And this is where it really feels like a water slide. This is where it feels like you've already done it, like there's no backing out now. And, and it's really critical when you're setting up your relapse prevention plan to understand that at this point in time, you still haven't done it. We'll even talk about how you can exit during the relapse in a minute. There is no point in this process that you cannot bail out. But as the process goes on, and you can hear it as I describe it, the deeper in you go, the harder it seems to bail out. The more committed you appear to be, the more invested, the less powerful you appear to be. So dealing with it earlier is better and easier, but you can deal with it anywhere in the process. You can always stop, even during doing it. Now after the high-risk situation, when you're right there, you're at the party and someone's handed you a beer, we've got what's called the pig, the problem of instant gratification. It's this rushing pressure this real hard push inside your mind that just goes, do it, fucking do it, do it now. And this need to feel good right now, you know, the, the stress has peaked, the social awkwardness has peaked, or the whatever it is, the cortisol has peaked in your system, and your brain's just like, end this fucking stress, do it. Just one sip, just one porn site, you know. 
Just one bag of chips. Just do it. Just fuck it. We'll deal with it after. Just do it. Do it. Do it. And the problem of instant gratification is you. This is the point where you're really giving up. You're going. I'm a victim. Poor me. It's already over. I'm done. You convince yourself that you're helpless to prevent it, and you're you're actually holding the drug now. Whatever that is, it is now right there in front of you. You may already be the porn site is loading up. You know, you're on to Facebook, you've flicked your first couple of scrolls. Turn you know, Your Netflix, the one show you did want to watch on Netflix has ended, and it's loading up the second one, the one you didn't think you were going to watch, and you're not moving. That's the problem of instant gratification. This kind of delay tactic, where your fear and your cortisol just tells you, look, We'll deal with this later. Just go for it now. Just go. Now, there's still this little sliver of a moment before you actually relapse, before you actually follow through with the action that is your drug. And it's this moment between that real desire to instantly gratify and doing it, and it's called the fuck it moment, or the what the hell moment. And this is where you consciously let go of responsibility You do one final justification to remove any guilt or hesitation or awareness that this is a problem behavior, and then you slip into doing it. You can feel it like just as you click on that first porn video, you just go, fuck it, I'm doing it. Maybe the click uh, happened a long time, like, the fuck it can actually happen a long time before you get it. Like, on your way to the party, like, fuck it, I'm going to get high. You're still, like, half an hour from the drugs, but you've now already given up on this process being... Uh, prevented so that fuck it moment is where you finally detach yourself from any responsibility you go into full victim mode and say i am it's impossible for me to stop this from happening now there's no point in considering going back i'll follow this through to the bitter end and then there's of course which brings us to the final phase which is the actual relapse the masturbation to the porn the 45 minute scroll through your phone the uh what else have we got the the mindless hours of video games the telling the joke in front of the group to make them laugh even though you're not feeling humorous whatever it is the full follow-through to get your drug to get high now most people think that by the time this has happened they really are powerless if i'm already masturbating to porn i might as well finish if i'm already halfway through the pizza i might as well finish the second half if I've started my first beer, I might as well drink my second. It's this bit where you think it's already over, and yet it's not. You can throw half the pizza in the bin and make it inedible. You can pour out your drink and call a taxi. You can close the internet browser and unplug your Wi-Fi. You can still intervene at this point. And I tell you what, if you want to feel powerful... The most powerful you can ever feel is when you can intervene during a relapse. When you can show yourself that there is never a moment that you're out of control. But of course, like I said, with this whole process, the deeper in you you get, the more resistance you'll feel in the brain. This is easier dealt with earlier in the process, but do not use that as an excuse to give up on exiting this process anywhere else. You can exit even during the relapse. And we're still not finished because now we're on to the final phase, which is what happens after. This one's really easily described with alcohol use. It's a hangover. You binge on alcohol, you wake up next to that person you really shouldn't have fucked, you look at them and you just go, oh my god, what what am I doing with my life? I'm never going to drink again. 
And you start beating yourself up for having done it yet again. And it seems like this is a helpful thing to do, like you're disciplining yourself. But actually all you're doing is A, confirming your victim status, like you were powerless to stop this thing from happening, and B, guilt-tripping yourself, which creates the background stress factor that's going to enable the next pattern. So you beating yourself up after doing this doesn't actually help. In fact, it makes it worse. And it's a very clever system. Your brain knows that if it beats you up now, you'll relapse again later, which is what it enjoys. It likes those dopamine highs. So the withdrawal, you know, and and there is a withdrawal process. Whenever you get a big dopamine rush, whether it's from Facebook or heroin or porn uh, or sugar, Whatever it is, there's a reuptake period, which means your body tries to scoop up all the dopamine it's poured into your system. And during that period, it's very hard to feel good. There's basically no room for good feelings in your central nervous system, which means you feel like shit. That's what withdrawal is. That's what a hangover is. That's what that depressed feeling on a Sunday afternoon is. Is you simply do not have the chemical elements available to you to feel good. It's not possible to feel good without those chemicals. And so your brain starts immediately going into a process of trying to make the chemicals release again. And this is why you often get multiple binges. The person wakes up with a hangover and then they binge on KFC. And they follow that with an afternoon of video games. And they follow that with a nice wank to some porn at the end of the day. Like the whole day is just a write-off of binging. But none of it really makes you feel good. All it really does is make you feel guilty because there really is no more good feelings to be had. You've used it up. You're trying desperately to scoop up whatever molecules of dopamine are left in your system, and all you're doing is prolonging your withdrawal hangover and making it more likely to happen again and again and again. Because now your brain's got this idea, hey, the pain from that Sunday is solved by my next drinking. So the, the, the drinking must solve the hangover, rather than realizing the drinking, of course cause the hangover and it wouldn't happen without the drinking so i want you to just notice because there is still an exit point even in this withdrawal period this guilt trip period you can still exit here you can still leave um instead of beating yourself up you can do something else which is what we're going to go into now we're going to talk about now the how to change this pattern how to intervene let's look at each step First off, you have to know your steps. You have to know what I call, or what we call in the corrections, the offense map. How do you build up to committing this offense? How do you build up to using your drug of choice? What is each step for you? So you need to map it out. What are your background factors? What are your early warning signs? What's a high-risk situation for you? Um, what does the problem of instant gratification feel like for you? And what when is that exact moment? What's the story you tell yourself to go, fuck it, let's just do it? You know, how do you withdraw from responsibility? What is a relapse for you? What is the actual behavior that makes you feel high? And then what do you do to yourself afterwards to guilt trip and try to avoid the pain of acknowledging that, you know, you fucked up again? you got to know that whole pattern. I really fucking recommend writing it out in steps. So at the very least, it's very hard to follow it without knowing that you're following it. You say, oh, look, there's my early warning sign. I'm doing it again. Oh, I put myself in the higher situation again. I know this. That's a really important part because that alone can protect you. 
if you're just like aware of it happening, it's kind of hard to keep doing it because now it's not an unconscious thing. Now you're choosing to move through this process. You know, that's that's been one of the things that's allowed me to essentially quit porn is, you know, my process was to first look at Twitter and it would seem like I just want to look at Twitter, even though Twitter is just totally nonsensical to me. And on Twitter, there was like pages I was following that had naked girls and so on. And I just scroll through those. And I'm like, oh, they're just pictures, you know, what's the harm? But the pictures would get me worked up. And then I'd go into this kind of day state where I just slowly set it up for, you know, proper porn. And when I could see this happening, I feel a guilt trip as soon as I logged onto Twitter. Because I knew why I was there. I knew what this was leading to. I knew that I had no interest in being on Twitter other than the, the pattern. And I'd usually, and still do, exit at that point. Whenever I flick over onto Twitter, I'm like, why am I here, really? Uh, there's nothing for my business here. There's no interest I have in anybody's tweets. I think tweeting is just like, shouldn't be done by anybody other than 13-year-old girls. Why am I here? And then I know why I'm there. I know I'm starting a process, and it's very hard for me to continue. So I just log off Twitter, continue with my day. Process stopped. Stopped at the early warning sign the most intervenable point so knowing your pattern is a huge huge part next one is acceptance you have to know you are always at risk of this and you'll have multiple different patterns for different types of binges and even when you solve one a new one will come up but this is why you know and you get in narcotics anonymous meetings and so on where you say hi my name's daniel and i'm an addict it's this bit where you say look i'm always at risk of drug using And never getting complacent about that because your single biggest risk factor, like I mentioned before, is complacency. The victim mindset is often uh, masquerading as a control mindset. I've got this. It's actually a victim mindset, not a responsible one. A responsible mindset is like, you know what, sometimes I don't got this and I need to be careful. A victim mindset is like, you know what, I'm completely risk free. Nothing can touch me. There's nothing for me to look at, to worry about, or be aware of. That's actually a victim mindset. And that is your biggest risk. So accept that you're always at risk of doing this, no matter how switched on you think you are. You have a human brain, that means you can do this. Simple as that. You want dopamine. The next thing is you need to design exit strategies for each one of these steps. So that you know that there is never an excuse to follow through. You always got another option. I'll give you an example. Let's say you use drinking as an example. So I'm a binge drinker, let's say. I used to be. And my background risk factors at the time was stressful work. You know, I'd, I'd get myself all worked up with stress. Um, I was surrounded by West Auckland culture, heavy drinkers, binge drinkers. It was available to me. I always had beer in the house or almost always had beer in the house. And of course, you know, I was just one taxi ride away from bars and pubs. And my social life was dominated by alcohol heavy environments whether it was a party or a nightclub there was always alcohol available and ready and i had a lot of social anxiety so that was probably my main risk factor is that i felt i could not socialize sober not in those environments while everyone else was drinking so it was my background factors and i was aware of that now my exit point for that was actually a long-term prevention which was to work on my social confidence And it did work over the many years. Once I became socially confident, there was really no need to drink anymore. And I was able to to work on other risk factors. I changed my circle of friends 
I got into the dance community where I'd go to a bar, but nobody was drinking anything other than water. And they were just dancing. There wasn't even time to drink. And because dancing doesn't require, like, complex conversation, all you need to do is some basic steps and you're socializing. So there's no pressure to know what to say. These things all really helped with uh, removing any desire for alcohol. And then, of course, changing my job to be less stressful so I feel less of a need to medicate myself from stress. So this is the background factors and how I dealt with it. Early warning signs. Like I said, putting it into arm's reach, meeting someone at a bar, or just it being a Friday night and people are going, what are you up to? You know, not driving to an event, making it so there's no responsibility for me to stay alcohol-free. Putting myself into high-stress social environments, pressure environments, where I feel like I need to perform. These were my early warning signs, but most importantly, stress and anxiety were my only warning signs. If those emotions were there and I was in a social environment, drinking was more likely to happen. High-risk situations? That's easy. Parties, bars, anywhere where there's alcohol. That was my high-risk situation. Anywhere where there's alcohol and I'm socializing and I don't have to drive. That was a really easy one to map out. My intervention for both of these, uh, actually I missed that, didn't I? The intervention for the early warning sign was to take pressure off myself and to actually avoid socializing if I couldn't trust myself not to drink. Or my favorite one for early warning sign was to volunteer to be sober driver. That was sufficient enough to prevent me drinking. You know, I just have a couple of Red Bulls or something instead. But let's say I'm in the higher situation. I haven't prevented any desire or need to drink. This is where I can tell other people that I don't want to drink. That can be an intervention strategy. I can ask for their support and say, look, I really want to knock the alcohol on the head, so can you guys make sure I don't have more than a couple? And where I can set myself up to get home easily, make sure I've got transport, so that I don't feel like I'm compelled to stay with the group and do what the group does, that kind of thing. And if I really am feeling like I'm weak and unable to control myself, just fucking going home. Just doing the old Irish exit, you know, don't tell anyone you're leaving and bail. So I can still do it there. Problem of instant gratification, like someone brings me a drink, and like, come on bro, just have a sip, fuck, one sip won't do you any harm. There was, at the time, I had some strategies like to go to the toilet, just get the fuck away from that. And just give me time to think. Anything that uh, allows you to slow down and think. Problem of instant gratification is that rushing sensation. So making sure you've always got time to make a decision. That no one can rush your decision making. If they do, you tell them to fuck right off. Because no one really can rush your decision making. You can let them. But they can't force it. Um, Noticing just the thoughts I had. Like, oh, well, I'm here now. I better have a drink. I've got to fit in. It'd be weird if I didn't. Fuck, one drink won't hurt. Noticing all that and going, you know what, this is my pattern. Just realizing it. Now that what the fuck moments that obviously follows, where I'm just like, alright, give us a beer. Shit, I still haven't taken a sip yet. But I've just, I've taken the beer. Now at this point I can still slow down. I can put the beer down in front of me and go, you know what, you're allowed to drink it. Just don't drink it right away. Take a moment here, you know, you're not under pressure to not drink. You know, you're a free will, whatever, you're a free man, you can do what you like, just take a moment. If this is the right thing for you to do, then you'll follow through with it, there's no harm in waiting another couple of seconds. So I just do this extra thing where I can intervene and give myself yet another chance to think this through. Let's say I go ahead and I have the beer. Now, in New Zealand laws at the time, after one beer, you still weren't over the limit, you could still drive home. 
That was still an option to me. I could tell people, you know what, I'm not feeling well, which would be a lie, but at that time was the best I could do because I didn't have the strength to tell people to just back the fuck off. Uh, but I could say, you know what, just one beer, just one beer tonight, and really push it hard so I can make it that the relapse stops early and is not harmful. Now, I have the social courage to do that these days. I mean, living in Czech Republic, I have to turn down a drink like every five seconds. It's fucking ridiculous, but yeah, I, I, there's nothing stopping me now from going into this process and out again. Now, the guilt, the withdrawal, the hangover, let's say I do get drunk, I wake up the next day like, fuck, not only did I get drunk, but I couldn't, I follow through on my process, I'm so weak, blah, blah, blah. What I can do now is I can go, well, what am I going to learn from this? You know, get the journal out and go, well, how do I redeem myself? How do I make sure today is healthy to make up for yesterday's lack of health? And how do I deal with this long term? And this is where I started looking for salsa dancing to find a new environment to socialize in. This is where I started working on my health and giving myself a good excuse to stop drinking. This is where I decided to go to the doctor and see what state my liver's in and get some um, pretty devastating feedback about why I actually needed to stop drinking. On, I was able to, instead of feeling guilty or giving up on life or beating myself up, I just said, you know what, let's try and make that the last time. What do I need to learn from this, really? Rather than like, oh, poor me, I've done it again. Now, you can find your own exit strategies for any of these. At any point in time, you can stop the process. You don't have to finish that porn video. You don't have to finish that pizza. You can turn off Netflix anytime. There's any point you can design an exit strategy. And the point is... Not to have some complicated plan, but just to always know you could. That way it's harder to do it because you're not a victim to it. When you're feeling good, when you've got your exit strategies, you've when you've avoided the pattern for a while, you've got some healthy habits going, that's the time to make big environmental changes. You know, once you've uh, avoided drinking for a couple of weeks, now's the time to start finding some new friends to hang out with who don't drink. If you manage to avoid porn, now's the time to like set your computer up so that all those websites are blocked and you can't access them. Now's the time to start telling people about what you're trying to do. People that are pro-social, people that are healthy, people that will hold you to account. You know, one thing I've, I tell myself, and this is a key, a key factor, is that I'm allowed to do whatever I want as long as I cop to it. As long as I admit it to my girlfriend or whomever. It's really hard for me to look at porn and masturbate if I have to tell my girlfriend about it. Now, I'm allowed to look at porn and masturbate, but only if I tell her about it afterwards. And that alone is usually enough to stop the pattern halfway through. So designing something that, in the longer term, is going to make this pattern less likely and make you more likely to switch. And this is why I recommend you work with a coach in regards to switching, is you need you need some helpful advice and support to design other behaviors to replace this this pattern. You know, work with somebody who will help you design, well, when you don't watch porn, what do you do instead to deal with the stress? And how do you live a life where the stress is reduced overall? You know, instead of scrolling on Facebook, you can go for a walk, you can interact with a friend, you can go socialize. You can find a coach who will help you design lifestyle choices and behaviors that add value to your life rather than take it away like these patterns do. So that's my thoughts on all this. That was a pretty long rant. But this is absolutely critical to everybody as far as I'm concerned. Get in touch if you want any support with your own. Dan at brojo.co.nz Breaking these patterns is kind of my specialty. And I will see you guys next time. Cheers. 